Well, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys carved out some time to worship with us today. If you're new, my name's Chad. Welcome. We are glad you're here. It looks like we have a great crowd here on site. I know we have some people down in our modern hymn service worshiping with us. And I know we have a bunch of people online as well. I just looked. We've got Caitlin in Texas who's worshiping with us. I also saw we have Nathan and Hillary. They're at home here in Owasso because they have a sick kid. So we're sorry about that, but we're praying for your family. Glad you're joining us for worship. And also we've got Rick in Tennessee and a bunch of other people. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. So glad you guys are joining us today for worship. And we are in week three of our series, Reclaim. And we're talking about how Jesus came to reclaim us from our brokenness, to reclaim us from the dominion of darkness, to reclaim the world for the sake of his Father, our Father God. And this has been an exciting series, and we've been talking about how God uses broken people to do big things. And I hope that this series has been an encouragement to you, and we're going to dive back into it today. But before I do, I just want to ask, when's the last time that you were really caught off guard? I mean, think about it for a second. When was the last time that you were really thrown, really caught off guard? And I'm not talking about just kind of being surprised. I mean, you were so caught off guard that you didn't know how to respond, didn't know how to react. Think about that just for a second. And I saw this video this week. You may have seen it as well. This news report, if you wanna go ahead and start playing it. And he is reporting on the news, this story live broadcast, and all of a sudden this bird flies on him and just sits on his shoulder there for a while. But the bird decides to take this to a whole new level. You know, he's trying to motion like, do something, do something, do something. And then the bird does something. The bird takes his AirPod. And so now he's like, go get my AirPod. Those things are expensive. Go get it. And so you've got like another guy, another dude trying to chase down the bird, trying to catch it with no luck whatsoever. And then eventually the bird flies away and they lose it. And the guy never gets his AirPod back. And he's like, what do I do now? What's up? You know, I saw this this week and I thought it was absolutely great. He's like, oh, well, now here's the thing. The interesting part is the story that this guy was reporting on was about the rising crime rate in his area, you know? You know how I know that? Because a little bird told me. No, I'm, I'm kidding, that's a bad joke. But no, that really was what he was reporting on. You can't make that up. I mean, he really was reporting on that. And you can just tell from his reaction, he was shocked, he was stunned, he was surprised, he was completely caught off guard. But we're gonna look at a passage today from the life of Jesus where Jesus tells this short but very powerful parable because some people around him were caught off guard when they shouldn't have been. And our passage today is found in Luke chapter seven. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me in Luke chapter seven. And in this passage, we find out that Jesus has been invited to have a meal in the home of a man named Simon. Now, Simon is a Pharisee, and we find out he's not just any Pharisee, he is a high-ranking religious official in his area. He's very influential, and apparently he has a lot of money as well. And he invites Jesus, who's a traveling rabbi coming through the area, to have a meal with him and some of his guests at his home. Let's read and see what happens. Now, one of the Pharisees, that's Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house, Jesus did, and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, 
she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So at first, we're not told this Pharisee's name, but later on, Jesus will call him by name. We find out his name is Simon. And Simon invited Jesus over to his house, and this wasn't the first time that he would have invited a traveling rabbi or teacher into his home. It's what was expected of him. Being a high-ranking religious official in the area, it was expected of him. It was just part of the job for him to invite people like Jesus over, especially when these traveling rabbis or preachers, teachers were extremely popular and they had large followings. And so this is what the community would have expected of a guy like Simon, and Simon Simon is just doing the job. He's doing what everybody thinks he should be doing so that he can keep his status, he can keep his his influence. And what I love about Jesus in this passage is that we see Jesus agrees to have a meal with a man who's highly respected in his community. And Jesus was one who would eat with the highly respected, but he would also eat with those who were rejected. Whether you were respected or rejected in society, Jesus would still have a meal with you. And we have tons of examples of Jesus eating with people who were rejected by their culture, outsiders, people who lived on the margins of society. He would eat with them and spend time with them. And then also, he would spend time with a guy like Simon who was well-respected in his town. Because Jesus knew that everybody deep down had the same need. Didn't matter if you were respected or rejected by your culture, everybody's broken. Everybody has had their lives corrupted by sin. They need to have their lives reclaimed by him. That's why Paul writes this in Romans chapter 3. There is no difference for all have sinned. And when he says all, he means all. That's every single one of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I really like how the voice translation translates this. Listen to what it says. You see, all have sinned and all their futile attempts to reach God in his glory fail. You been there? Ever felt like that? We all have. Whether you realize or not, none of us can reach God's standard on our own because we have fallen short, because we chose to sin. All of us in that way are like the rest of us. We all have the same problem. We've all been broken by sin. And that's why Jesus came. As Paul writes in the book of Titus, Jesus Christ gave himself to rescue us, to redeem us, to reclaim us from everything evil and to make our hearts pure so that we can live the life that God intended us to live, created us to live, but we chose to corrupt with sin. And so, when Simon invites Jesus to come over for a meal, Jesus doesn't hesitate because he knows Simon, like everybody else, needs to have his life reclaimed. But here's the thing. Even though Simon invites Jesus to come over, Simon doesn't appear to be that excited that Jesus is there. You might be asking, well, how do we know that? Because of the customs of this day. Hospitality was huge in ancient Jewish culture. And there were certain things you did whenever you had a guest come over to your house. The first thing is that you would greet this guest at the door and you would welcome them with a kiss. Either a kiss on the cheek, remember this is Middle Eastern culture, a kiss on the cheek. Or if they were an honored guest, a special guest, you might kiss them on their cheek and on their hand. Then you would also wash their feet after that. Because 
the main form of transportation this day was walking and they had dirt roads and so people's feet were really dirty after they traveled and so you would wash their feet before you would eat. Nobody wanted to go to the table with dirty feet, especially because they reclined at the table. They didn't sit in chairs like we do. Nobody wanted dirty feet. And then if they were a truly uh, special guest that you wanted to honor and set apart, you would then anoint their head with oil. You would take common olive oil, you'd put a drop or two on their forehead, you would pray over them, bless them, or you would just announce that they were a special guest, set apart as a special guest in your home. But Jesus is invited over to Simon's house. Simon doesn't greet him. Simon doesn't have anyone wash Jesus' feet. And there's definitely no anointing or special setting apart of Jesus. Simon invites Jesus over, but it's almost as if he's totally disinterested in Jesus being there. And I have to wonder why. Why did Simon choose to treat Jesus like this? Because everybody would have noticed it. Every guest at this party would have noticed the disrespect that Simon was showing Jesus. Jesus would have noticed it as well. I mean, you can tell when you're at somebody's house and they either really don't want you there or you've overstayed their welcome. You ever got hints like that before? I asked some people in our church this week, I was like, can you remember a time when maybe you didn't feel welcome or you felt like you overstayed your welcome at someone's home? And these are true stories that people in our church told me. There was one person that said that they were over at somebody's house and all of a sudden the host got up and left, went to her bedroom and came back out wearing her pajamas. And so that was a hint, you know, it's time to go home, right? It's time to leave. There was another person who told me that they went over to somebody's house and the host stayed on his phone the entire time. Never made eye contact with him. Either was talking to somebody or texting somebody the entire time that they were there. You don't feel welcome when that happens. You don't feel the people really interested in you being there. I had somebody else tell me that as the night went on and they were at somebody's house, that the host went and got the vacuum cleaner out and started vacuuming the house. Not to clean up a mess, but everything. Like, was vacuuming everything. That was a hint, I'm sure, to go home. And then I remember one time at our house, and this happened, we actually did this, but uh, there was a friend who was over and uh, was just staying and staying and staying, and the kids had already fallen asleep on the couch, and Allison came out and she goes, uh, you can stay here and talk to Chad if you want to, but I'm going to bed. And she went on to bed, and she left me with him, and they say like two hours after that, so it was crazy, but you know, you can tell, hopefully, you can tell when somebody necessarily wants you to go home or doesn't want you around, and all the signs were clear, Simon wasn't really that interested in having Jesus at his house. So why did Simon ask Jesus over? Remember, it was what was expected of him. It was just part of the job. If he wanted to keep his influence in the community, then he needed to do things like this. He regularly had people over. Simon is just checking a box. For him, Jesus was a means to an end. And let me ask you, what's driving your relationship with Jesus today? Do you just see Jesus as a means to an end? I mean, think about it. Why are you here today? Is it because mom or dad made you? Is it because a spouse made you? Is it because a boyfriend or girlfriend gave you an ultimatum? Is it because you feel guilty? Is it because you feel obligated? Is it just a tradition? Do you just want to get into heaven free card? Like, you know, I really don't want to live for Jesus, but when I die, I definitely don't want to go to hell, so I might as well show up and get something out of this. Why is it that you're here? What's driving your relationship with Jesus? 
Do you just see Jesus as a means to an end to get something out of him, some personal benefit to advance yourself in some way? Well, that was Simon. See, Simon here does the bare minimum because Simon's heart isn't in this. He's just doing it because it's what is expected of him. And so Simon is at the table with Jesus But his actions reveal he really doesn't want Jesus there or doesn't care if Jesus is there. It reminds me of what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, there is a huge seismic difference between using Jesus and choosing Jesus. And a lot of people are okay with using Jesus so that they get something out of him. But then once they get what they want out of him, they keep him on the side and they never actually give him their lives. But what Jesus wants for us to do is choose him, choose to do life with him, have a relationship with him, and that's when he transforms our lives. So even though Simon the Pharisee's heart is not in the right place, there is somebody in our passage today whose heart is in the right place. We were already introduced to her. We're not given her name. We're just told she was a sinful woman. The Greek actually seems to indicate that she was somebody who sinned for a living. So you can put two and two together. You can assume what she did. And every single man in this room would have known her. Everybody in the town knew her. She was a woman with a reputation. She was one who sinned for a living. And you might be surprised that she's at this party that this Pharisee is throwing. I'm not, and I don't think anybody in this culture would have been surprised that she was there because here's the thing. Hospitality was a huge thing in ancient Jewish culture. And the way that wealthy people designed their homes is they would design this huge dining room with a table in the middle. And the invited guests would come and recline at the table in the middle. And then they would open up the doors of their homes. And as the party was going on, they would allow for commoners or poor folk even, to come in from the outside and stand along the outer walls and observe what the rich and famous were doing and talking about. This was typical in their day and age. And the more outsiders you had standing along the outer wall, the more influential and prestigious you looked because people wanted to hear what you were talking about. People wanted to see what was going on at your party. Now that may sound a little bit odd to us that people would just wander in off the streets uninvited just to observe a party of the rich and famous but don't we have like tabloid magazines today and tabloid shows and reality shows and all that kind of stuff where we watch what the rich and famous do and we're fascinated by them I've heard people say you know I watch these rich and famous people on tv and their lives are a train wreck but I can't look away you know I just gotta keep watching what's going on and we get fascinated with celebrities and that's What's going on here? People would wonder, and just so they could later talk about with their friends what they saw the rich and the famous doing. So the fact that this woman who had a reputation was there, not that big of a deal. What caught everybody off guard, though, is when she moved from the outer wall to center stage. And she approaches an invited guest. Now, you didn't do that. That was a cultural no-no. You didn't approach an invited guest if you were somebody who was just standing along the outer wall. But this guest that she approached was the whole reason why she came in the first place. She came to see 
Jesus. Now, I don't believe that this is the first time that this woman has met Jesus. I think she's met him before, and the text seems to indicate that. I think she knows who Jesus is, and somewhere along the line, she discovered, she found out that Jesus came for someone like her, and she realized that Jesus could reclaim her life. So when she comes to see Jesus in this moment, I don't think she's coming to seek forgiveness. I think she's coming to say thank you for what he has already given to her. See, Jesus says, when we read on in this passage, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. Past tense, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. Why did she do this? Why did she come and honor me and recognize me? Because she loves me. She loved Jesus because of what Jesus had already given to her. And so she's come now to thank him. And I want you to imagine what's going on here. Jesus and all the guests at the party, including Simon, who's the host, they're all reclining at the table. And this woman with a reputation walks up behind Jesus. And Jesus maybe can't see her at first because remember what I said, they would recline. Typically, you would eat like this in ancient Jewish culture. You would put your elbow on the table and you would lean on your elbow and then you would eat with this hand with your feet going straight out. You were lying on the floor. I know that sounds awkward and weird to us, but that was custom in their day. That was the custom in their day. They were used to that. They would recline at the table. Their tables were about that high off the ground. So don't think of Jesus and those people in his day and age sitting behind a table and chairs like we do. Apparently nobody told Leonardo da Vinci that when he painted the Last Supper, okay? No one informed him that they weren't sitting at chairs like this. And also when Leonardo da Vinci painted this, apparently somebody said, hey, everybody get on this side for the picture. So anyway, that's not how they were actually, it's a beautiful piece of art, but that's not actually how they would sit at a table, okay? They were reclining a table. So this sinful woman walks up behind Jesus and she's at his feet. She just came to thank him. See, she brings with her this alabaster jar of perfume, this very, very expensive and rare perfume. And what she was gonna do is she was gonna anoint Jesus' head. Remember what I said? If you had a special guest, you would put like olive oil on their head, common olive oil. She wasn't gonna use olive oil. She was gonna use something expensive, something extravagant to thank Jesus, to honor him. So she's come to anoint Jesus, to thank him for what he's done. And when she gets close to him, her, she's just overwhelmed with emotion. And she starts to cry. You ever been so happy you cried? She starts to cry and cry. In fact, the Greek seems to indicate that it was like rainfall. She just kept crying and kept crying. So much so that her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. She's standing behind him. And she gets embarrassed because she didn't come there to be, you know, a crying mess. She came there just to honor Jesus. And now her tears are all over Jesus' feet. And so I think she panics in this moment because she's a little bit embarrassed. And so she doesn't have a towel and nobody in the room is going to give her a towel. She shouldn't even be that close to Jesus anyway in their mindset. And so what she does is she lets down her hair, her long hair, and begins to dry his feet because her tears are falling on him. Now, that's another cultural no-no. Women in this day and age did not let down their hair in public. You would let down your hair for your husband, but that was it. You didn't let down your hair in public. And this woman's not thinking, though. She's so caught up in the emotion. She's so distressed in this moment. She's embarrassed that she's crying so much. She just wants to try to fix it. So she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And then she realizes as she gets close to his feet, nobody's washed Jesus' feet. 
Here's the man who came to reclaim the world. Here's God in flesh, the Messiah. And nobody would clean his feet. And so she takes that alabaster jar that she had. This is an, al an alabaster jar. I couldn't get one for a good price. So just imagine that it's alabaster. But she took that alabaster jar that originally she was just going to take a little dab of it. I'm going to smell like a woman after this. But, and put it on his forehead. That's real perfume in there. And instead of just putting it on her forehead, she looks at his dirty feet. She doesn't have any water. And she empties the jar and washes his feet. Most scholars believe that that alabaster jar of perfume was worth about a year's wages. She emptied the jar because Jesus was worth everything to her. And Jesus is moved by this. But Simon, the Pharisee, not so much. He's caught completely off guard. And in verse 39, it says this. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, so he's thinking in his mind here, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he were truly a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Simon is saying, this shouldn't be happening. Jesus knows better. This woman knows better. This should not be happening. What is wrong here? Why is everybody allowing this to happen? Simon is ticked that this woman has not only crashed his party, but that she's doing something that is so offensive, that's considered so offensive in their culture. Now, side note, if you're ever in a situation where Jesus is pleased because of what's going on, you know, like kingdom work is being done or people are being saved or, you know, the, the lost are being found through the gospel of Christ. If you're ever in a situation where it's obvious that Jesus is pleased and in your mind you're being critical of it, your heart's in the wrong place. And I know that may sound extreme, but it happens sometimes. It does happen a lot, but in my 15 years of full-time preaching ministry, I will occasionally have people that will come and complain to me right after we as a church have seen God do some incredible stuff. I've seen people come and complain because the, because the service went too long because we had too many baptisms. That we should have cut a song instead of letting it go long. And I'm like, why are you here exactly? I've had people get upset because they didn't get what they wanted even though all around them God is working. They can't see God working because their preferences weren't being met. Their agendas weren't being carried out. They weren't getting what they wanted. And Simon is upset and critical and doesn't want this taking place. And Jesus is pleased by what's going on. And so Simon thinks in his head, this man can't really be from God. If he was from God, he would know better than to allow all this to happen. And Jesus is getting ready to prove he is from God because look at what happens. It says, Jesus answered him. Now Simon's thinking this. He didn't say it out loud. <laughs> Simon's thinking this in his head, and Jesus answered him, meaning Jesus can read minds. Yep, he is from God. He's not just from God. He is God. So Jesus answers him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus jumps into this little bitty parable. Two men owned, uh, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 
Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he, the moneylender, canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So basically, Jesus makes this comparison of two guys who owed this moneylender some money. One guy owed him 50 denarii, the other one 500. Now, a denarius was worth about a day's wage. So one guy owed this moneylender over a year's salary and the other guy just about a month and a half or so. And so two debts, but one's really, really, really large and one's not as large. And so Jesus says, which one is going to be more grateful? Which one is going to show the moneylender more love if the debt is just forgiven and neither one has to pay it back? And Simon says, well, I guess the one who owed him more money. And Jesus says, yeah, you judged correctly because that's how everybody in this world thinks. But is that the way it should be? See, when Simon here says, I suppose, I think Simon knows that he's getting ready to get in trouble. I think he knows that Jesus is getting ready to nail him. You know, he's getting ready to let him, put him in his place. And so Jesus does when he says this. He says, neither of them had the money to pay him back. See, the whole point being is, yeah, one debt was huge and the other one was small, but it didn't matter. Because if neither had the money to pay the money lender back, by the time that they were supposed to, the consequence was going to be the same. They were both going to end up in a debtor's prison. The consequence was the same. The debts may have been different, but the consequence was going to be the same for both of them. And it doesn't matter if it was a huge debt or a small debt. If you have a debt you can't repay, there's punishment because of that. And what Jesus here is trying to let Simon know is he's trying to let Simon know you're missing the fact that you yourself are broken. Maybe you haven't committed all the sins that this woman has committed, but you've committed your share of sins. And you owe a debt to God that you cannot repay. And neither of you, not this woman nor you, deserve to have your life reclaimed. But I came for both of you. And that's the point that Jesus makes as we read on. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon. So get this, he's looking at the woman. His eyes focused on the woman, but he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Don't listen to what these guys are saying. You go in peace because you know your sins are forgiven. Now, here's the thing. Did Jesus really mean that there are some people who just need to be forgiven a little bit and there are other people that need to be forgiven a lot? Is he making this distinction here? No, I think Jesus is speaking tongue in cheek. 
It's the same thing that he did when he said this, when he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I mean, we just looked at a passage from Romans chapter three that talks about how we're all sinners, right? There's nobody who's healthy. Jesus is speaking tongue in cheek here. He's being a little bit sarcastic. And Jesus is telling to Simon, you know, you think you just need to be forgiven a little bit and you're so much better than this woman. But let me tell you something, Simon. Your problem is you don't realize how much you need to be forgiven. You don't realize that you owe a debt to God that you cannot repay on your own. You don't realize that you need the same grace that this woman needs, and she wants it. She sought it, and she is thanking me for it. And you still don't think that you need it. You still don't realize that your sins need to be forgiven. See, we're all in need of being forgiven much because we've all sinned much. Now, I know what some of you guys might be thinking. Oh, speak for yourself, Chad. I mean, see for yourself. We've all sinned much. Let me just ask you, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but let me just ask, whether you're online or in a modern hymn or right here in this building, this room, can any of you go a day without sinning? Can you? I struggle. <laughs> can anybody go a day without sinning? We need to be forgiven much because we've all sinned much. And maybe our sins are different from others. Maybe the physical, earthly consequences of our sins are different than others. I get that. But when it comes to us standing before God, all of us, all of us have a debt that we cannot repay. And that's the whole reason why Jesus came, because Jesus was the only one who could pay the price that we owed. And so Jesus came in order to reclaim our lives. And that's why I think taking communion every Sunday as a church is so important because every single Sunday we come together and we remember that we are all sinners. We are all sinners that have been reclaimed by Jesus. And without him, we are nothing. And if you can't see your own brokenness like Simon, if you can't see your own need for Jesus like Simon, and there's gonna be two consequences. And the first is this, when we can't see our own brokenness, we won't love Jesus like we should. I love what this woman does in this passage. She brings this alabaster jar of perfume. I told you it was worth like a year's wages. I wonder if this woman didn't use this jar of perfume on herself because of her profession. I wonder if after she did what she regularly did, if this perfume didn't make her feel better about herself and smell better. I wonder if it was her feeble attempt to feel like she was worth something after she did what she did. Because she didn't spare any expense on this perfume. She got the good stuff. And for a moment when she would put it on herself, she might feel like her life was worthwhile again, that she was something but the perfume eventually faded. And even though this perfume costs a lot of money, it didn't work, it didn't last. And so when she realizes that Jesus can offer her a peace, a comfort, a self-worth that is more valuable than this perfume that would last for all eternity, when she realized that Jesus could actually reclaim her entire life in whole, she doesn't just give him a drop or two, she empties the jar. Because nothing, nothing in life was worth more than what Jesus could give her. And let me ask you, when's the last time that you emptied the jar for Jesus? When's the last time that you went for broke when it comes to Jesus? 
When's the last time that you really made a sacrifice that hurt because you knew Jesus and his kingdom were worth it? When's the last time that you really could say, I emptied the jar for Jesus because he is worth everything for me? When your attitude's like Simon, you won't even put some olive oil on Jesus' head. But when your attitude is like that of the woman, you'll empty the jar. And there's one other consequence. When we can't see our own brokenness, we won't see others as Jesus does. I think it's very interesting in this passage, in verse 44, Jesus says to Simon, he turned to, to the woman, but he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, Jesus, that's kind of a silly question. Of course Simon sees this woman. He's mad about what this woman is doing. He's witnessing everything that's taking place in the room right now. What do you mean, do you see this woman? Of course Simon sees this woman. But Jesus is making a point here. Have you really looked at her? Have you really seen her? Because I think what you see is her sin. I don't think you've seen her yet. I don't think you see a daughter of God before you. Someone who God created in his own image. I don't think you see someone who is worth everything to God so much so that I've come to pay the price of her sin on the cross to die in her place so that she could have her life reclaimed. I don't think you've seen her yet. And as long as we can't see our own brokenness, we'll never see other people as God sees them. So let me just say to you today, if right now, if you feel broken, if you feel empty, if you feel crushed, if, if you feel dirty, Jesus came for you. Your life is not beyond him reclaiming it. He came to reclaim you. He died on the cross for you. And Jesus sees what's possible when we only see what's broken. Now, for those of us who already have been reclaimed by Jesus, we accepted him years ago or whatever, what's true for Jesus has to be true for us. We need to see the world as he sees it. We need to see people as he sees them. What's true for him needs to be true for us. And here's what we need to, to remember. We choose. We see what we choose to see. We choose. We see what we choose to see. And if we don't choose to see the world as Jesus sees it. We'll never see the world as he does. So with that in mind, we see what we choose to see. Let me make a weird transition, okay? Christmas is coming. It is. Christmas is six weeks away, and our Christmas series, sermon series here at First Church is three weeks away. And we, as a leadership here at First Church, we have been planning for this forever. I mean, we are excited about it. And if you've ever been to a Christmas service here at First Church, you know it's a fun time. It's a memorable time. And in case you're new and you haven't been to a Christmas service, take a look at this quick, quick clip. Okay, so Christmas is coming, and if you've been to a Christmas service in the past, and you've had a blast, you've enjoyed it, it's been great, let me hear you right now. How many of you guys are excited about Christmas? Yeah. Okay. It's going to be fun this year, but 
Christmas is going to be a little tricky this year, okay? And it's gonna be a little tricky because, well, here's, here's our theme, making room, but Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. Yeah, it happens every now and then, it does. Christmas falls on a Sunday. So here's our schedule for Christmas, okay? And we're announcing this for the first time today. We're gonna have four Christmas Eve services. One on Christmas Eve Eve. Some people call that Christmas Adam because Adam came before Eve. But anyway, on Christmas Eve Eve, December the 23rd, we're going to have one service at 6.30 p.m. And so for those of you who are traveling, going out of town, maybe you can catch that service before you leave. In the past couple of years, that's been a huge service, actually. And then we're gonna have three Christmas Eve services on December the 24th. Four total services. Some people have asked, do we really need four services? Yes, we cannot fit everybody in if we just have three or less, okay? We gotta have four. There's coming a day when we might have to have five, so just buckle up, okay? But that's an exciting problem to have, okay? So we're gonna have four services. Yeah, you can clap for that. And we want you to be inviting your friends. We want you to be making plans to attend one of those services. But here's the thing. We're doing something different this year that we've never done before. We're going to offer childcare for zero through three years old. And the reason why we're doing this is because we asked people in the past about how things are going with our Christmas services. And especially when you have people who are bringing kids who aren't used to coming to church, it's hard for their child to sit through an hour-long service. And so they become a distraction to them and they're worried that they're making noise, even though most people don't care, but they're, they're still worried about it. And so we're going to offer childcare for the first time for zero to three years old. And you might think, well, that's great. Yeah, good idea, go for it. The problem is we need people to work that. You know, we need volunteers in order for that to happen. So let me challenge you. This Christmas, will you volunteer to come to a service with your family, but also stay for another service? Maybe all of them, maybe just one and help out in that area of our ministry. If you don't wanna help out with zero to three-year-olds, that's fine, we've got other areas. We need servers, we need ushers, we need other volunteers. And there's, if you go to our app right now, there's a ton of things that you can volunteer with. But let me ask you to intentionally make time to come to another service. I know Christmas is busy, I get it. I know there's a lot going on, we got family traditions. What I'm asking you to do is empty the jar so that somebody who may be coming to our services for the first and hear the gospel for the first time can get the experience of who Jesus is. But then we're gonna have a Christmas Day service on December the 25th. And a lot of churches our size are not having services on Christmas Sunday. They're not doing that uh, because they think after all these Christmas Eve services, it's too much. Um, and so we went back and forth. We talked about it. We had a bunch of options of what we wanted to do. And our leadership prayed about it and we talked about it. And we, were, we went through all the things about it. it's gonna be hard on the staff, it's gonna be hard on volunteers. We know that people are busy. We went through everything. And then we came back to this. What's Christmas really all about? Is it our family traditions? Is it our gifts? Or is it about Jesus? So if you wanna worship Jesus on Christmas Sunday, we're gonna have a service for you. And we're gonna have one service, it's gonna be at 11 o'clock, we'll stream it online if you're gonna be out of town. But let me challenge you, if you're gonna be in town, come to the service, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a short service, it's gonna be brief, it's gonna be more intimate, it's gonna be different. It's gonna be a different service than what we do on Christmas Eve. But I think it's gonna be something that you won't forget and you won't regret coming. So 11 o'clock on Christmas Day, we're gonna have service. And again, you might be asking, why are we doing all this? This is a whole lot of work, and it is because we're a church that empties the jar. We're a church that's not just gonna do enough to get by. We're not a church that's gonna go through the motions. We're not a church that believes a little dab will do you. We're a church that wants to empty the jar for Jesus. So, yeah. 
So this Christmas, what do you need to do? Plan on attending a service. Invite people. Invite, invite, invite. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Invite people. Come and serve. If you're able during the Christmas season to attend the 11 o'clock service, I mean, I'm talking about the whole month of December. Do that because this service is packed, okay? So if you can do that, do that. That's another way you can help us out. Park on the, you know, on the streets and all that instead of in parking spots. You guys are doing that anyway. But I ask that when you come, be ready to empty the jar. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity we've had to open up your word and study. And I pray that we will always be a church that empties the jar. A church that doesn't just give you a little bit, but a church that is willing to give you our all because you are worth everything. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.